Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. There's some important things for us to look at this morning that are, that are essential to coming up with any kind of understanding of Bible prophecy. I want you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Okay, You have in your Bible what, what we can refer to as a, a prophetic program. From the very beginning of the book of Genesis, you have God beginning to reveal some things about what He's going to do. And I want you to notice in, in Luke chapter one, here, here are some things. This is having to do with the birth of, of John the Baptist. But uh, John the Baptist's father's name was Zacharias. He was a, a priest in the temple. And uh, if you remember, he was mute for a while. And uh, the, uh, when John the Baptist was born, then Zacharias was able to speak again. And in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 67, it says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Verse 69, Luke 1, 69 says, And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. And, and he goes on there. But you see how he talks about the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. From the beginning of the world, you had God revealing things through prophets. Okay, And they spoke of the coming Christ. They spoke of what He was going to accomplish in His death, burial, and resurrection. They spoke also of His second coming and of the kingdom that He would establish on the earth. Now, the order of those events was not always completely clear. Okay, uh, In fact, over in, in uh, Peter's epistles, Peter writes about these, these same prophets, and he says that they, they searched what or what manner of time the Spirit which was in them did signify. They, you know, they would receive these, these uh, prophecies from the Lord, but they didn't really know always what they meant or what the time was when they were going to take place. Uh, in fact, if, if you were to not have the New Testament at your disposal and you were to study just the Old Testament prophecy, uh, again, all kinds of prophecies about first the, the sufferings of Christ and then the glory that would follow, but putting it all together into some kind of chronology would, would really be beyond what you could do with just the Old Testament Scriptures. It's no wonder that uh, Jesus' Jesus' disciples, the things they were most often confused about, was the timing of the events. Uh, you know, when when they expected in Christ's first coming for Him to establish that kingdom that we know won't be established until his second coming because they didn't they didn't see necessarily the order of the events now we have the benefit of hindsight and and we can see that Christ in his first coming was not going to be accepted as the king he was not going to be installed on the throne and and anointed and that kingdom established on the earth that's yet future to today see 
And uh, so, so we have some benefit in that regard. But, but you see how here in Luke 1, you see how uh, Zacharias describes these things that have been spoken by the, by the mouth of, of God's holy prophets, which have been since the world began. You see, he talks about Christ there as the horn of salvation that, that was raised in the house of David. And that's a reference to Old Testament prophecies about how the scepter would never depart uh, first from the, the house of Judah and then how David would always have someone on the throne so that Jesus Christ is called the son of David, right? And so he's referring back to that, to that prophecy. But since the world began, there have been these prophets that have revealed these things about the person of Christ and about uh, the things involving his first and second coming. That prophecy we looked at last week was mostly looking at, at Christ's second coming. Okay? Uh, you see, he talks here about the oath that was sworn to Abraham. And, and uh, with Abraham, there were prophecies made about how Abraham's seed would inherit a certain piece of land forever. And yet we see that that same land that was promised to them, uh, his seed has not inherited forever yet today. And so there are these things that are that are yet future. Um, but but again, here we are in this gap. I mean, even just considering that, even considering just that gap between Christ's first coming and his second coming, here we are in this gap that has lasted nearly two thousand years. And you know, where do we fit into all these things? Uh, regarding Bible prophecy. Why, why is it? And when you take these kinds of, of prophecies, like the one we looked at last week in Daniel, other prophecies in Daniel, that look at things in a, you know, in the, in the kind of the broad perspective, what you often find is we're, we're somewhere in a, in a gap in that prophecy. We don't, we don't really appear there. And that's because if you, if you compare, I mean, think about what Zacharias says here. He talks about this message that has been revealed by the prophets since the world began. Go over to the book of Romans. And I want you to really think about these verses. It's, uh, by the way, you can go to Romans chapter 16. Um, by the way, let me just, let me just give you a, a few quick basic principles when it comes to Bible prophecy, before we look at this verse here in, in Romans 16, that'll kind of help you avoid some of these different extreme teachings about Bible prophecy, okay? Uh, for one thing, Bible prophecy, like all of the Bible, you, if, if it's possible to take it literally, take it literally. Now, not everything in Bible prophecy, much there is symbolic and, and has to be taken figuratively, but usually when something is to be taken symbolically or taken figuratively, the, the Bible will make it clear when you compare Scripture with Scripture what is literal and what is figurative. Okay, And you have to use some degree of, of common sense. Um, you know, And all of the Bible is that way. Uh, when, when Christ talks about how the Lord would have, would have gathered Israel under his wing as a, as a hen does her chicks, uh, that's obviously figurative language. He's not saying that God is a giant chicken in the sky that's going to gather people under his wing, right? It's figurative language. It just takes common sense to, to know that, that that's figurative, all right? But, but I'll tell you that often... I'll, I'll, I'll tell you of myself in my own study of Bible prophecy. Um, often, things that, that I at first had taken figuratively, I later learned should have been taken more literally. 
And, you know, I, I would say in most cases, if you're going to err, um, of course, the, the goal would be not to err at all, right? To take what's figured, take figuratively what's supposed to be taken figuratively and take literally what's supposed to be taken literally. But, but usually where most people make their error is to take too many things figuratively and not enough literally. And that's true with, with all of the Bible. Um, God, God hasn't written his word to be cryptic and, and that kind of thing. He's written it to be understood. Okay? And, and uh, so, so that's an important principle when it comes to Bible prophecy, uh, is that you take literally what can be taken literally. Now, that passage we looked at last week, um, it was a, a completely a figurative passage, right? Everything in it represented something. But another thing about Bible prophecy is that even the figurative passages are teaching some literal truth, right? So that when Christ, for instance, taught in parables, and many of his parables are prophetic in nature as well, especially in like Matthew 13 and, you know, those parables, they are all prophetic. Everything represents something. And so even though you understand that the parable is, is figurative, you realize that every, every element of that parable figures something else. It, it points to something else. So that it's pointing to some literal truth. And there is much error that's made from God's word by just trying to spiritualize everything and saying nothing really means what it says. There's just some larger, vague spiritual truth we're to learn from it. When, when the Bible is written in a, in a very precise and largely literal way to be, to be taken in that way. Uh, and, and these, comparing this verse we're gonna look at here with the verse we just saw there in Luke provides a good example. Because, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, talked about the prophets, and he, he talked about this, this message. He was saying that the, he really wasn't talking about the birth of John the Baptist, but he was talking about the birth of Christ that was going to come about six months later, uh, saying that the Lord had raised this horn of salvation in the house of David, and he refers to that as a message that had been spoken by all the prophets since the world began, Right? Here in Romans 16, though, we see uh, some, some wording that's used that uh, is very instructive when we compare it with that. Uh, Romans 16, as, as Paul is ending this letter to the Romans, verse 25, he, he's going to just quickly, before he ends the letter, remind the Romans of the things that are going to establish them in, in their knowledge of God's word and, and the... Uh, you know, being able to, to live the Christian life on the basis of that word of God. He says, Romans 16, 25, Now to him that is of power to establish you. He's, he's going to list here three things by which God establishes you. And all of these are a part of the word of God. But they are, they are three separate things that you find in God's word that Paul says God is able to establish you by. And they're listed in a, in an important order here, which is instructive to us in our, in our study of Bible prophecy. First of all, he says, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, the, the apostle Paul uh, refers there to the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And he says, God is able to establish you according to that gospel. Without understanding that gospel, without faith in that gospel, you have no hope to be established in the Word of God. And, and that's the beginning point for any, any uh, 
study of the Word of God or any, any establishing there is you've got to be established according to the Gospel. And, and so that's the starting point, and that's the reason why he lists it first. Uh, he says, to him that is of power to establish you according to my Gospel. And, the word and there is a, it means in addition. Okay, so he's not just talking about the same thing. He's talking about a separate thing. Now, still a part of the Word of God. But here's where I want you to notice the difference between what we saw over there in Luke and what we see here. Uh, Zacharias talked about the, the first coming of Christ being the fulfillment of the word of the prophets that, that God had spoken by His holy prophets since the world began. But notice here, Paul says, according or and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Now, you can't have something spoken since the world began and kept secret since the world began. All right. Now, now when he talks about it being kept secret here, when you look at, at the uh, other passages that talk about this mystery that he's describing here, he says in, in uh, Colossians, for instance, that it was hid in God from the foundation of the world. When it says it was secret, it's not just that man didn't understand it, it's that God didn't tell anybody about it. Okay? So you have the, the word of the prophets that was spoken since the world began. Now, realize man didn't understand all that word of the prophets. The prophets themselves didn't understand all of what they spoke by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But uh, there was a message that was spoken since the world began. And here Paul talks about a revelation of a mystery. A mystery is some hidden knowledge, some hidden wisdom. But you see, Paul says it's been revealed. You can't be established by it if it's still hidden, right? I mean, if it's hidden, you don't know it, it can't establish you. But he says you can be established by the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. You realize that there were some things about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he would accomplish that were not prophesied. You don't, you don't find them in the prophets. They were kept secret since the world began. Now, that doesn't mean that, that God you know, came up with these things later. In fact, again, if you, we aren't going to go to all the verses today, but, but uh, if you just do your, own, do your own word study on that word mystery, take a concordance and look up uh, the various places that talk about the mystery, and um, you'll, you'll find that the mystery was something that was devised by God before the world began. It wasn't, he didn't come up with it later on. He, it was before the world began that he had that intention. He just kept it secret. And so Paul says there that it's something that can establish you. Now, the mystery is something you hear very little about in, in much preaching today, despite the fact that it is a, when you get into Paul's epistles, every one of Paul's epistles emphasizes the mystery in some way. Okay, now we haven't even talked about what the mystery is yet, but just the fact that it is a mystery. And I hope you see that if you take these verses literally, if you take that verse in Luke, chapter 1, and you take this verse here in Romans 16, that you see they can't be talking about the same thing. You can't have one thing that's been spoken by all the prophets since the world began and have it be exactly the same as the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Uh, Just to, to finish out the passage, you see it was kept secret since the world began, but verse 26 says, but now is made manifest. The mystery isn't a mystery anymore. The mystery is revealed now. It's something God wants believers to know because after the gospel, it's the thing that establishes you. 
When, when you see people that are tossed to and fro with, with every wind of doctrine, as the Apostle Paul describes, you, you, can, you can be certain that they are not established in this mystery that Paul talks about. Now, I also want you to notice then, that's not the end of the passage, because then he says, and, there's another and there, in addition, so you have the gospel, you have the, mis- the preaching, we could say the mystery, but really it's the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the mystery, okay? And, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Here's another place, by the way, where many modern Bibles will corrupt this passage. Because, you see, the way it is in the King James, you have three separate things there. You have the gospel, you have the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, and you have the scriptures of the prophets. In the modern Bibles, they, they say the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets. Now, that doesn't make any sense, because if it was kept secret since the world began, then it's not made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed. You see? And, and uh, so that's, a, you know, that's another place where these corruptions of the word of God enter in. He's listing here the scriptures of the prophets as a separate thing. Now that tells us where Bible prophecy fits in the scheme of things as far as the establishing of the believer. It's not, it's not the first and foremost, most important thing to establish the believer. That's the gospel. It's, it's at the end. But these other things, understanding the gospel and understanding Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, allow you to be able to understand some things about prophecy. Okay? So this, this mystery, if you wonder why God would keep something like that secret, um, if you, let's just look at a, at another passage here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you wonder why God would keep something like that a secret, understand that God is engaged in a war with an enemy. Now, God could have, in his, in his uh, strength as the Almighty, God could, God could win the battle at any point, you realize. But God has chosen to let this, let this battle play out. You and I are a part of it. Okay, we're a part of that battle today. That's why, that's why Ephesians chapter 6 instructs you uh, with regard to that battle. And God didn't choose when, when Satan sinned, God didn't choose to just destroy him. God chose to, to allow him to, to uh, have a, a great deal of freedom for the time being. Right? And, and God planned out a way he was going to defeat Satan, which wasn't so much by just a, a, a raw display of power, but it was rather to, to take the devil in his own craftiness. Uh, back in, in the Psalms, there's a, a verse there that talks about the Lord laughing at the devil and having him in derision. Because, you know, it's one thing to just, just defeat somebody immediately. It's another thing to uh, almost even let the enemy think they won and yet use their what they consider to be a victory to be their own defeat. And that's what God has chosen to do. Notice here 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Before the world, God ordained this mystery. And now it's, now it's revealed. Paul says we're speaking it. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. It was this hidden wisdom. God ordained it before the world 
But why did, why did he keep it hidden? Verse 8 gives you the answer, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There are things about the death of Christ on the cross that Satan did not know and did not understand because God never told anybody about them. Now, there are certain things about the cross that Satan did know and understand, right? Uh, you, can, you can be guaranteed that the devil studies Scripture. He knows what that Scripture says. You see it right from, from in the garden with Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, he, he corrupts and distorts the Word of God, but when it comes time to outright deny it, there in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, Satan can quote what God said directly and tell Eve it's not going to happen. It's not true, right? He, Satan knows the Word of God. And so there were certain things that God didn't reveal in His Word about what Christ's death was going to accomplish. And it says here that if those princes, and when it talks about the princes of this world, in this passage, it's not talking about the, the, you know, the, the human rulers of this world. It's talking about those same principalities and powers that you see in Ephesians chapter 6 that it says our battle is against. It says if they would have known, if they would have known the, the, the fullness of what Christ's death was going to accomplish, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If Satan knew that that cross of Christ was going to be his own undoing. If he understood everything that was going to be accomplished by that, he would have been trying to to do everything to keep Christ from the cross. He understood a little bit about what God's plan was with, with the cross. He understood, you know, a few things, but he didn't understand the fullness of it. And Satan thought that was going to be his victory was in that cross. And it wound up being his defeat. And that's how the Lord can then look at Satan and laugh and have him in derision because he's taken him in his own craftiness. He took Satan's own plan, his own devices, and turned it against him so that Satan's desire to kill the Son of God becomes his own defeat, his own undoing. And there were some things that God kept secret. So you don't reveal your whole plan to the enemy. You might reveal some things about your plan, and God doesn't lie, so you know it's not, it's not uh, that God was going to prophesy one thing and then do something else. God cannot lie. And so God revealed a part of what his plan was for what Christ was going to accomplish, and he kept a lot of it secret and hidden. Now, where is the mystery revealed? You, you know, there's, there's uh, various passages in the Bible that talk about mysteries. If you, uh, a, a very, a very uh, useful study, for instance, in, in uh, Matthew 13 is to study there those parables that Jesus Christ refers to as mysteries. Now, those are mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Those were some un, unrevealed things as well there in Matthew 13 about the gap of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. But they aren't the same as the mystery that the Apostle Paul talks about. And the Apostle Paul, in all of his epistles, talks about this mystery, and he talks about how the revelation of it was given to him. Now, in Peter's epistles, you don't see Peter teaching you anything about the mystery or, or claiming any kind of special revelation about this mystery. You don't find it in James and Jude. You don't find it in the four Gospels. You don't find it in, in John's epistles or the Revelation. Uh, the mystery you, you see in Revelation is mystery Babylon. There is, a, there is a reference in Revelation to the mystery of God as well. But I want you to go to Ephesians chapter chapter 3, and, and notice here, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, 
If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Now, uh, you see verse 2 there uses the term dispensation. And dispensation is an administration. It's a stewardship. It's Sometimes people have mis, misdefined the word by saying that a dispensation is a period of time, which is not strictly accurate. Now, it's true that a dispensation certainly would, would uh, involve a period of time. But a, a dispensation is, the, the, uh, the Greek word is oikonomia, and it means house law. It's the same word we get our word economy from. When we talk about the economy, we're talking about the, the rules that, that shape, usually we're talking, you know, talking about finances and business and those kinds of things when we use the term economy. But, but the term economy really can be used to refer to any kind of a system, uh, you know, of, of, of rules and things. And um, that's, that's what the word is there. And you see, we today, we live under the economy, the, the uh, administration, the dispensation of God's grace. And you see how Paul associates that with the mystery. He says, you've heard, or if you've heard, of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me. He doesn't say which is given us. He says which is given me. Paul is the, is the, the sole revealer of the dispensation of the grace of God in the Bible. Uh, all the rest of the books of the Bible that aren't written by Paul are not talking about the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, it's still, you know, don't confuse that with salvation by grace. Salvation by grace is true in every dispensation. But here Paul's talking about a certain administration, a certain way that God is working in the world and God is working through his people. He calls it the dispensation of the grace of God, and he associates it with this mystery. He says that by revelation, God made known unto him, to Paul, the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so Paul says that it's revealed to him, and then it's also revealed to these other apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He says, you see the emphasis on the Gentiles in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That a Gentile could be a fellow heir, not a fellow heir with Israel in this verse, but a fellow heir with Christ himself. Partakers of the same, or, or of the same body, and again, that's with Christ, that same body of Christ. And partakers of his promise, again, in Christ, by the gospel. And Paul says, whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Now, if you want to understand why there seem to be these gaps in many of these prophecies, it's because of this dispensation of grace. So that in, in that prophecy we looked at last week, and we saw the, that progression of world empires down to Rome, but if all you had was that prophecy, you would assume that out of Rome immediately would come the, the uh, kingdom of the Antichrist. And yet we haven't seen that. We saw Rome crumble, and here we are today, kingdom of, of the Antichrist that's described there is not yet. And, and why is that? It's because God started a new dispensation of grace that was a mystery. It wasn't in the view of that prophecy, that dream given to Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't in the view of anything in the book of Daniel. It wasn't even in the view of, of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, when he talks about Christ and he says, he talks about, about uh, how, how Christ is coming to deliver them, deliver Israel from their enemies. Well, did Christ do that in his first coming? He, he didn't do it. Uh, 
Israel was just as much under the, the rule of their enemies after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection as they were before. You say, those are things that will be accomplished in the second coming. And so when you're dealing with this time period in which we live, you have to view it almost, almost as you would a, a parenthesis. In fact, some people would use that term for it in Scripture, a parenthesis. You know, when you're reading, when you're reading a, a sentence and you have something that's in parentheses, it's, it's something that's included in there, but you can, you can leave it out and just read the sentence without it, right? And that's the way you have to look at Bible prophecy. So we live in this parenthesis in the progression of prophetic events. And what that means is, it means you can't look at what happened in the news yesterday and fit it into Bible prophecy. And when, and when people do that, what they wind up doing is they wind up twisting and corrupting the Word of God in order to make the events fit in the Bible. Okay, What's happening in the world today is not the direct fulfillment of prophecy. Because we live in this, this parenthetical time. We live under this dispensation of grace that is a mystery as far as those prophetic things are concerned. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.